My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. It just kept happening every every so often. He just you know we'd, we'd upgrade, get bigger homes, and he got to the point where he was just buying more and more property. And I I, I sort of watched and saw some of the things he did, um, and and because I also saw some of the mistakes he made, I learned from those and you know started my property journey as well too. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, the two drunk accountants themselves, Dan Osborne and Tim Garth, interview me about my property and podcast journeys. From starting neighborhood-wide trends and changing streetscapes to filling a gap in the lending industry and thinking outside of the box, this is only just the beginning of the story. While this episode was initially recorded for Osborne and Garth's podcast, Two Drunk Accountants, there were many nuggets of wisdom strewn around and mind-blowing realizations that were too golden to not share with the property investory listeners as well. Aaron, give us a little bit of a background as to why property is, is so important to you. And, yeah, that's, that's a good and, idea. Yeah, let's just start with a bit of context here. What is your history in property and... and um, and how have you come up with these alternative strategies? To sort of give you a bit of a background behind property and, and where I came from was maybe to tell you a little story behind it because that might sort of just give you an insight into it. Um, as you know, and as Dan and, and Tim have said, you know, I've got the number one property podcast on iTunes and we interviewed a lot of property investors and property developers from all walks of life, from people who've just gone from you know zero to multi-million dollar property portfolios, rags and riches stories to multi-billion dollar property developers who I think a lot of you may have already heard in the news previously and uh, they've shared their story. It, it's, it's fascinating because everyone has a different walk of life and what it comes back down to when I interview and find out about more about the story is that a lot of them all put their money back into property being a, a very solid asset that can generate um, good returns. You know, that, that's how a lot of successful, I guess you can say, um, wealthy individuals own property. And if you look at the top BR, BRW review, um, yeah, that's the top 100, majority of them are property developers if you have a look at, you know, the, so it goes to show that you make money and that the most wealthy individuals make a lot of money through property. And Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad Porter has said that as well to multiple occasions throughout his books. But to give you a bit of a background behind where I got started in my journey in terms of property was, I guess, when I grew up, my my parents um, or my father in particular just bought properties um, to, to 
live in. And uh, we, at a very young age, uh, he started showing me what he was doing in terms of the renovating. I don't think he knew at that time because when he was just buying the property to live in as our principal place of residence, he would just naturally go in and tinker and renovate it and add value to the property. And all through my life growing up, he did that. Like every single property I remember, we, we bought one that was in there when I was very, very young as a child going to primary school. Then during um, high school as well, we moved again because we needed a bigger place because we had more kids. Like my family doubled in size within a couple of years from two to four kids. <laughs> so obviously, we needed a bigger home from that. Um, and and, and that, that kind of happened very, very quickly. And when we moved, the first thing dad started doing was to renovate the house. It just never stopped. I was like, wow, you know, into it again. <laughs> <laughs> was that something your dad had a skill in? So he was a builder by trade or? No, he wasn't a builder by trade, but he was very, very good with his hands and he just loved getting on the tools. So naturally, he taught me how to do the tools because obviously I'm a little bit like slave labor. So uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, son, son doing all the work while dad just watches. No. <laughs> I can remember sometimes I had back-breaking times where literally he'd get tons and tons of soil and I literally have to dig that, that soil and put it into a wheelbarrow and wheelbarrow it to the backyard and pour it in and it was crazy. Trauma memories for me of my dad doing the same thing. Just just like, oh, hey, Dan, we've got a, we've got a driveway full of mulch and uh, here's a wheelbarrow and a shovel. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, that, that's only one of the stories. But... <laughs> But yeah, it was, it was very, very interesting to see that. And um, I guess it was also too, he, he had a few tradies doing certain things, um, you know, had a few electricians come in to rewire, add some lights on, change switches. Uh, he had painters come in to paint the house and so forth. So it wasn't obviously just only ourselves doing it, but, you know, he wanted whoever had a spare helping hand and it was available, he'd, he'd get us on site to help him with the house. And it was really, really interesting because you learn a lot during that stage and you don't think about it as a kid, go, oh, you know, dad's just doing a renovate. I hate it and I don't want to do it because it's just so tiring. But when you look back in hindsight, and this is where I've learned from my journey, is that um, every successful, I guess, property investor or, I guess, developer has added value. It doesn't have to be necessarily renovation, but they've done some kind of add value to a property to be able to increase its value. Now, you can, you can wait through capital growth and even if dad didn't do renovations on those properties, it would have doubled in value anyway after about 10 years. But what was interesting was by adding what it is and change the street, streetscape because we were the first in that particular street to render the house. And in a sense, we did it. Every other house down the street just copied us. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. And, and that, that was interesting because it also uplifted the value of all the properties in that street and therefore increased the values of every, every house in the area, which made it more of a prestigious. So just by looking at that, um, I, I learned that you can actually just simply by doing simple things and getting the right tradespeople, you can increase the value. And that's where my journey kind of started. And one thing though, I vowed not to be on the tools again after all those experiences. You, you had a concept of how to do them all and that you didn't want to do them ever again. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Which is why I've never never had to pick up a tool since then. <laughs> I've always called a tradesperson, even for rental properties, I would not bother going out and changing a hot water tap or whatever it is. I'd just say, hey, you guys just send the tradesperson out to get it fixed. There's no way I'll do it. Our tool is a pen. Where we are, we are pen pushers. <laughs> that's that's what we do. And mics as well. That's that's our tools too. So mm. and mics, yeah, true. <laughs> Growing up, I I had a lot of exposure to property in some shape or form, and 
I guess what happened was dad also purchased two empty blocks of land and I knew he was planning to build on those two blocks of land which would have started our development journey. And it was in a very, very well-known suburb called Strathfield. Now, I'm not sure if you know where, where Strathfield is in, in Sydney. But right now, it's an extremely, extremely expensive suburb and a very affluent suburb. Now, I wish dad kept those two properties where he bought the land for 350 each. And I was like, <laughs> oh, they'll probably be worth multi-million dollars. But he, he sold them to, to, to buy our family home in another location up in Gladesfield. And, and you know, glad he did because those properties itself were worth a lot. And it just kept happening every every so often. He just, you know, we'd, we'd upgrade, get bigger homes. And then he got to a point where he was just buying more and more property. And I, I, I sort of watched and saw some of the things he did. Um, and, and because I also saw some of the mistakes he made, I learned from those and, you know, started my property journey as well too. And I thought the one thing that I would do differently to how my dad was, was probably educate myself. And, and that's kind of where I started on this journey of learning a lot more getting involved in courses, speaking to mentors and, you know, eventually starting my podcast because I was I was hungry to get more information because you wonder, you know, how these people have done it so successfully. All you really have to do is follow their plan, find out what they've done and just model off them. You don't have to be copying exactly what it is, but you find the ones that work out, you know, very similar to what you want to do. And that that's kind of what I did, you know, over that period of time. Now, how the podcast started and how I, I kind of eventuated to where I landed was going back about, Oh, 2017, I was working in a large manufacturing company, just driving to work day in, day out um, and really, really enjoying my job at that point in time. But the challenge I faced was that I was hitting a limit. I couldn't earn any more because the next position I could go up was to my boss's position and he's been there for 22 years so I don't think he'd be leaving anytime soon. <laughs> so yeah, during that time, I was driving to work, listening to a lot of property podcasts and I thought, how can I actually get out of what I'm doing and, and earn a lot more income because the other way was to jump into another job and start again and work up you know, the, the ladder. And um, it kind of led me to listen to all these well-known um property experts but also these successful property investors and they talked a lot about how to buy property, where to buy property and all that kind of stuff but it missed out on the why, why do they jump into property and it was this story part that was missing and and that's where I felt like I would resonate a lot better because I just want to hear people's journey because if there's a strong why behind it, you know, why they actually did what they did, it helps them overcome their biggest challenges because any property person's journey is faced usually with challenges and even for yourself like running a business and myself with one as well too it's every day there isn't one challenge at all you know you're bound to have one but what is it that pushes you through those challenges to be able to continue to keep working through and and, you know succeed and it's the why behind it you know the reason why I, i run the podcast why i help so many people achieve what they want to do is because i want to impact and and pass this on future generations because once you've achieved the income that you need or the money that you leave and you have all your lifestyle set up, there's not really much more to chasing more than more money. But, you know, that, that that's the end goal. There's no point doing that. It just doesn't end. Well, domination is the, really the end yeah. goal. That's all, that's all it is. <laughs> no, but I, I, I'm loving everything you're saying because it really matches to resonates. how... Yeah, it resonates to how we like to um, talk to everyone who listens to this podcast and how we like to run our own business. It's, yeah. it's very much about... Why are you doing what you're doing? What's the end goal? What's the plan? What's the lifestyle that you're trying yeah. to live? And can your assets, in, in your case, property, and in our case, people's businesses, yeah. uh, provide that lifestyle that they're trying to do and then figure out how to get there? But, and then once you're there, 
well then you've done it you what what you know unless unless you've got a new goal yeah uh, you don't need to to have world domination mm, yeah you just need to have the goals reach that you're trying to hit well yeah because i mean otherwise you could just keep going mm. but you'll never be happy because you don't know what drives your happiness anyway mm. you think it's owning more properties or building more wealth but it may not be that so yeah i love that i love that you've uh, that is i think a very different spin in property mm to many other people who sort of make it a bit more glitzy and glamorous and, and all about the rich side of things or the richness mm. that can that can come from it. So, I like that. I like that you, yeah. you're going back to stories and people's purposes and why they, why they did it. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's made a huge impact in my life and I'm, I'm sure many listeners out there who have been listening to my podcast for a while have said the same thing as well because they come to me and say they love the podcast and because they like the stories, whether it be you know someone who's just a young teenager who's just bought you know, maybe one or two, inspires them to take action. Whereas you hear all these really successful property developers with multi-million dollar de- developments and making hundreds and hundreds of million dollars a year you know, just from a development. It's glamorous, but what does it mean? I'm looking forward to all the feedback you get about people being inspired by my journey. Yours was a great story. Don't forget, you know, guys got to hop on and listen to it when it comes out. So, absolutely, absolutely agree with you on that side because the stories are important. And I think coming back to why I started was because I was looking for that. I was earning to try and hope that someone start the podcast and I just procrastinated for literally a year and didn't do anything because I thought, oh, someone's going to do it. You know, eventually someone's going to catch on and realize there's no, none of these kind of things, but no one did it. <laughs> so, I thought, all right, I'll bite the bullet. I, I had initially selfish reasons because I wanted to reach out to these property experts and all these other people who are successful and learn from them, you know, and ask them questions because to get hold of these people were going to be a challenge. You know, I'd have to attend their seminar. I have to pay for their services, etc. Where we're better, where I could actually just feature them on the podcast and share their stories, and you know, share it with the world and, and provide a lot of impact. So it was a win-win for them, for us, you know, and the listeners as well. And it's brought many, many benefits, not only to them but you know, for our listeners as well. And that's kind of where where that journey started with the podcast, and then it, it pretty much turned into. I guess a lot of followers were hearing my journey because I do share a little bit about my journey on the podcast as well on you know property investing and property development and so forth. And I started finding opportunities that would actually allow us to be able to look into more like um, high returns because when you look at and, and read more books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad from Robert Kiyosaki, it's, it, he, one key component that I, it resonated with me was to look at how you can actually use the compounding effect because over time, if you actually compound something starting from say, you know, $1 and you compounded it every day rather than getting a million dollars on the first day, you know, I, I can't remember the exact amount but you probably ask yourself, which one would you take first? The one that is starting a dollar and compounding for one day over say a period of 90 days or would you prefer a million dollars right now? Mm, well, I mean, I'm going to say a million dollars right now but I think that might be the wrong answer. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think you're right, Tim. <laughs> I have to admit. <laughs> um, if you compound it, it's some ridiculous number like $6 million or something like that I, I, from memory. Yeah, because of the compounding effect. And, and that's what I've seen. We often talk about this in, in business as well about yeah. when we're setting goals and actions and it's those small little tiny changes every day that lead to big changes in your business. Incremental change leads to big change. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, you're resonating again. 
So that that was the key thing that I learned and I thought, all right, how can I go and find opportunities that would give me, you know, at least 10% per annum return on, on an investment. So that way I could just put it in passively and then every year I just keep reinvesting that 10% that I've got on the capital. And I looked everywhere. I could not find it. <laughs> and you think to yourself, wow, you know, where are these investments? Where are these opportunities? Um, I mean, I was only looking in Australia in particular because that's where my funds were. I'm sure it's it's available all in the US, you know, day in, day out. But I didn't have an opportunity to be able to look at, say, for the bank account in the US, go over there and have a look at opportunities. So I couldn't find it. And, and the average rate of return was through property, like 5% yield, maybe 6% yield sometimes. Even commercial property, you might get an 8%, maximum 10% yield. And that's gross. After you deduct all the expenses and taxes and whatnot, you're left maybe between 1% and 3% or maybe at most 5% in a commercial property. And you go, wow, this is hard because <laughs> especially when, when property prices keep increasing and this is what's been happening over the last decade plus, prices of property have doubled so much. I mean, I remember when I used to um, live around the North Rider area, we were able to, to look at buying property for about 550 average price of a house, a three-bedroom, four-bedroom house over there. Um, nowadays, looking in ride, you won't be able to even pick up one for less than 1.5 mil. So you go, wow, you know, and, and even the return on that back then, I think it was like four, $400, dollars $350 a week for, for rent. Now you're paying about $500, max $600 a week, actually more, sorry, probably about $800 a week for a house like that. And it hasn't gone up in line with how, I guess, the yield has been. The value of the property um, has increased more than the rent as a percentage yeah that, that's exactly right and, and then you're going to question okay if i am going to be starting from today to buy property especially when they're averaging 1 million to 1.5 million dollars across say those metropolitan suburbs like sydney metro melbourne metro etc how am i going to be able to build a portfolio just like you know how people have done in the past with buy and hold strategies and it's it's near impossible i'm saying it's not i'm not saying it isn't not imp- i'm not saying it's impossible but it's pretty near impossible because once you buy one, your service capacity goes down. You know, you got to earn more money to find a deposit. And, and, you know, the cycle just doesn't end from there. And then you're stuck with a huge mortgage or debt. You go off that interest-only loan payment, then all of a sudden you're losing money from your weekly dis- um, disposable income. So that also sucks too. You're sacrificing lifestyle mm. to, to grow something that may be worth more in 10 to 20 years. And spot on. And, and, and that's why I just start looking at it and go, wow, it's not really feasible to go and buy, say, $10 million worth of property to generate, say, a 5% yield on it. And even if you have to spend, go buy $10 million, you have to wait another 10 to 20 years to, to hold on to those properties for the double in value and on top of that, service those properties. I don't think a lot of people can afford to do that at this point in time. So, you kind of question, okay, if I'm to have to have a goal set, say, you know, I want a comfortable lifestyle at $10 million worth of properties with, a, say, a 3% yield return, which will give me about 300000 a year, then how am I going to be able to achieve that if I don't have you know servicing and I don't have you know access to all that capital right now? And I thought, well, there's got to be other opportunities. So I start looking at alternative property strategies, which is where I, I kind of tapped into this alternative space, and and started finding deals that were returning between twenty and thirty percent per annum. I'm like, wow, where these where have these deals been? Have they guys been hiding under a rock or something? But they've been there all along, um, but it's structured differently. And this is where I didn't realize once I started looking into this space that there was a, a big gap in the market um, because of COVID as well too. It accelerated us to jump into this. So in the last 18 months or so, I've been helping a lot of clients, investors from the podcast who've reached out to me, seeing what I've done and just asked you know, to be joining part of what I've done 
to invest into these opportunities and they're getting, as I said, anywhere between 20 to 30% return on, on their capital secured against property. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So I think that's the, the biggest challenge that people face is that it's hard to find a particular property at this point in time, an investment property that stacks up the numbers. It's good for growth, you know, good for wealth building, but you're not guaranteed unless you had a crystal ball knowing what's going to happen. And people are looking for cash flow because ultimately you don't want to be holding onto these last assets and not have something to be able to pay down the debt. So that's why I start looking into this alternative space so that way I could find ways of being to sort of fuel the capital, I guess, from my portfolio and inject more cash. So I've got, you know, property myself, but I've also got these alternative investments, which, you know, I've got got substantial amount in there that's generating, as I said, between 20 to 30% per annum return, which in itself provides a nice steady income, which, you know, can fund a lifestyle, can do so many things. And I guess it's really understanding why, because people go, wow, that's high return. That must mean it's high risk. But in actual fact, if you actually look at the numbers and, and you do your due diligence and your homework and understand what the concepts are behind it, then really, it, it's very minimal risk. And it's actually a lot safer than putting money into the share market as an example. Wow. Okay. Wow. So, okay. So, we set the, so you, you've, set you've the peaked the here. interest. Yeah, yeah. I'm super interested. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm on the verge of saying, take my money. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm really interested to know, like, how did you, how did you find this opportunity? Tell you the backstory behind, and this will probably reveal how it's done as well, which is important to know because I'm pretty sure people are going, "How's he do it? What, what, what is this?" So back in 2019, around yeah, April 2019, I went into a joint venture partnership with another developer to develop a, a, a block. You know, we went and bought this large block of land and subdivide one into two. Simple subdivision, and it was just a let's say derelict house at the front <laughs> which required a lot of TLC. So we did that. We, we pretty much gutted it inside the structure, was renovated it nicely and was ready to put it on the market. That process was supposed to take about 9 to 12 months. Um, by, by about the ninth month mark, we had the property ready to go because it was fully renovated. It was just waiting for council to finish the subdivision papers and come back to us. Um, that took another three months or so. <laughs> which was a pain but as you probably realize um april 2020 was when COVID hit yeah and that that's the 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 sad thing about that was because we were anticipating to make say an extra 100k on top of the profit that we had prior to COVID, and because the market was steaming hot we were anticipating to sell it down pretty easily as soon as april hit which is when our property was just come on the market it just felt like crickets no one responded to the ads there's no one and unfortunately, that particular property um, just sat there. Unfortunately, we had to take off the market for a few times and, and didn't get sold until about 12 months later in April 2021. Yeah, so that was my real first foray into development of a subdivision one into two as a joint venture. And that lasted 24 months. I didn't make any money at all. Big learning lessons. The investor who put their money into this deal, who was funding the property, got their money back at a fixed return. So you can already see, you know, if you actually just put your money in there at a fixed return, there's a greater chance that you would get your money back because as developers, I, I just said, look, no matter what happens, if we make a loss, we'll still pay you back what we agreed upon. Now, luckily, I wasn't just involved in one deal. I had multiple deals running at the same time. So this second deal that I invested into was down in Victoria, Roville, and it was a one into four lot subdivision. And um, it was around about November 2019 and... Um, that was going really well. This particular developer had already fully funded the project, so had no issues with money. 
But what happened was one of their relatives or his, his sister-in-law passed away so suddenly. It just happened. And she had been already invested into that project. He felt it wasn't right to take the money and use that money whilst the decease was you know, happening. So she returned all those funds that she put in back to her family so they can you know, do what they need to do. And that meant they were short you know, of about 230000 And that's where he came and reached out to me and said, hey, Tyron, would you like to invest into this? Put your money in here. Um, 230000 for I think it was like 15 or 20% per annum. Can't remember the exact figures, but it was around that figure. And um, I said, yeah, sure. You know, I go in with one other investor and we put our money in there. And remember, in this point, I wasn't doing any work. I was just only putting my money in as a lender. I wasn't actually helping with painting, wasn't helping renovations, submitting documents to accounts, etc. This was all on the developer. Now, interestingly enough, six months later, he came back to me and said, hey, Tyron, um, and this was literally April 2020 again <laughs> when COVID hit. And I thought, man, what's this other news I'm going to get? Because <laughs> I've already had bad news on. Coming up after the break, Osborne and Garth quiz me on risk mitigation. Immediately, a few questions come yeah. to mind. Yeah. Uh, the first one is, is you hear about property developments going bad occasionally. And what's the risk there? We witnessed the two of them experience an aha moment as it happened. I guess I knew that existed in, mm. in, in property development, but I suppose what you're doing there is really you're cutting out the banks. Osborne neatly sums up what he and Garth learnt from our discussion. The one thing it's inspired me to do is just to think differently about yeah. everything. No. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, let's be real. Deals that can yield 20 to 30% per annum do exist. Don't believe me? Well, here's a story about property development I invested in Victoria. This developer had the project fully funded beforehand, but he and his family suffered a loss, a circumstance that led him to be unable to proceed with the development. So, I stepped in and in two weeks, we funded the shortfall, allowing for the development to continue. Five months later, the development was refinanced and we received our funds back with interest. Yes, there are amazing opportunities in the property market like this one. So, do you want to get a better return with low risk on your money? Then register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. During the second deal I'd invested in Roeville, Victoria, we'd hit another snag. After the developer had experienced a sudden loss earlier during the deal, things had already taken an unexpected turn. What happened next was yet another astonishing twist. I've just never heard of this before. <laughs> this, is, this is groundbreaking There's, for me. He said to me, no, good news for you, man. I've got a developer who wants to actually refinance you out and pay you out You know what we agreed upon. I said, oh, wow, that's fantastic. I'll take it. <laughs> Give it to me now. I don't know what's going to happen in COVID. And true to his word, it happened all in April. We got paid out. I got actually the full amount that I was promised for 12 months in six months with my interest. And I was like, wow, this is fantastic because you know I never had to touch anything. I didn't have to worry about the headaches of the development and so forth. And that kind of introduced me to the world of, I guess, lending, <laughs> become the bank. 
And and essentially, what was happening was I was actually just lending some funds to the developer for a short term period to be able to help them get to the next stage. Because when we got refinanced out, that was basically getting a construction loan, and that construction loan helped them build the property. And usually, sometimes the developer might have a bit of a gap between, say, selling of a property all the way to construction. It usually takes about four to six months to get construction finance because they need to get all the reports from engineers, all the finance organized, etc. And um, it's that little gap that we're filling in the market and hence the reason why we're able to get a good return because for them, the developer is getting a small loan for short term. For us, we're getting a higher rate of return but it doesn't impact the project hugely because it might add an extra 1% or 2% margin on them. So, I've kind of revealed the secret sauce. <laughs> That's brilliant. You found, you found a gap in the market. It's, it's still property and it, you're still leveraging the growth and value of property which is why people are borrowing from you um yeah that's that's fascinating there you go and and the good thing about it is there's so many investors out there with a lot of capital just like myself i had a lot of equity in my property and i wanted to go back to the bank to draw that equity out but it took so long to be able to get that process and by the time i got it i'm already losing opportunity costs to actually reinvest that money somewhere else so i said um you know stuff the banks <laughs> i've got to go find other opportunities and that's what i did i took a lot of the capital i had even though like the banks a few times had rejected me because they said that I didn't have enough servicing but I had a lot of capital available, I didn't want to let sit there dormant. And you know, when you're talking about a million dollars worth of capital sitting there dormant, you know, doing nothing, it's a bit you know, annoying because you're not earning thing or you're maybe earning 1% interest on that. So that's where I, I started. You're losing money. Yeah. And, and that's what we've done with a lot of investors. The same thing. A lot of other investors have said the same thing to me and, and hence the reason why they like this opportunity because one they can actually deploy their capital rather than let it just sit in the bank and two, diversify what they're doing because their portfolio, yes, is generating income but it's not enough to be able to sort of fund whatever else they're doing especially at a, like maybe a 5% return. When you're getting like 20 or 30%, you pay maybe 3% max back to the bank and you keep the rest and you use it to pay you know whatever down you want or use it for your lifestyle and we just kept turning these over and yeah, that's, that's kind of what's happened over the last, say, 18 months. We've, we've done quite a lot of deals, about $15 million in the tune of and um, it's helped a lot of investors like myself do it. And, and this is the thing, I won't usually share deals unless I um, have invested in them myself or you know I would do it myself because I don't like to go into things without knowing what's happening. So that's the reason why I'm very, very familiar with this because I've done already multiple of these, done about 12 of these deals already over the last 18 months myself so immediately a few questions come to mind uh the first one is is you hear about property developments going bad occasionally and what's the risk there is is there a worry that they go under and 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 you don't get your you might like what's what's uh, what's your process to to vet any risk out of that part of it it's a great question i get asked that all, all the time because Ultimately, it's our money. You know, it's my money I'm putting there. I'm not just going to just willy-lilly just lend it to anyone else. You know, the key thing is that when we're doing all our due diligence, we have a very, very thorough process to do our due diligence. We go through and check all the criteria and make sure that they actually meet certain criteria. For us, the key thing is the sponsor. You know, have they got a strong proven track record firstly? Have they done developments, you know, more than just one or two? 
you know, if, if a developer says, this is my first project, I need some money. Obviously, I'm not going to be lending to them at this point in time because I need that track record. But a lot of the, the developers we've worked with and a lot of the brokers who have worked with these developers have had a strong track record, you know, usually at least five years worth of developments and they've, they show us, you know, in their books and so forth. And a lot of them have really amazing um, portfolio of developments that have succeeded as well. So that that's key for us is that checking out their experience. Um, I'm not going to say, you know, any developer can go bust any day and it depends on you know what happens but the thing is is even if they do go go in administration or bankrupt or whatever happens we still have the security which is the key component here so if we took the developer out of the picture and we actually took security and, and register mortgage which is what we do over these properties as long as there's plenty of equity in there you know we try to leverage no more than say 80 percent into these developments and we have a buffer of up to say half a million dollars of equity in there which covers anything potentially that could happen like legal fees, sales costs and whatnot, then we feel at ease and comfortable with that. And as long as those assets are in very, very good high demand areas such as metropolitan cities, then we feel that the risk is, is pretty much mitigated in that sense because even if we have to you know, put this property on the market at fire sale, even 10%, which is very unlikely um, because you, you know, you'll have people fighting over good blocks like these, then uh, we'll most likely be able to sell it as is. And we get official valuations coming in on the as-is value and also as complete values. So we kind of know the difference between you know the increase. So most of them already have DAs on approve. And with the DA approval, you kind of go, okay, well, it's going to be valued at that much. You work out the cost, you work backwards, and you go, okay, this property is going to be valued at this much with this amount of equity. And you just basically assess it on the asset. So that gives us a lot of reassurance that when we do our due diligence, if those assets match those criteria then we would continue our, our further due diligence if they don't i straight away flick them and i'll tell you like in the last two weeks i've had about close to nine to ten deals sent across to us and i've had to decline all of them because they just don't match those criteria. when we do find that one that does match great i'll go ahead and, and you know that's really cool uh, I, I love that that you know <laughs> you, you kind of laid out the case earlier that you know he, here's the problem with the property market at the moment here's yeah. here's why i wasn't getting the return and i don't think it's going to be you know for yeah. me at the moment but here's a gap that i found and it just just from a business perspective i, I love that idea yeah you approach it like a business everything you look at from from that point of view i guess you've got to find from a commercial perspective because at the end of the day you know, a lot of people are not going to do these things for nothing. And if you if you go in there with a mindset that, oh, you know, I'm just doing it for fun and, you know, it's going to make a little bit of money, you won't succeed. And you've got to actually treat it as a business because you want it to do it well and properly. You know, you've got to make sure you have a good team backing behind you, good systems in place to check your due diligence. If you just go in there as like a hobby and I'll just have a look and go, oh, I think I like that deal. I emotionally think that's going to be great. It's not going to work because you're putting emotions into it with very much simple numbers and you just go, okay, does this deal stack up? Now, if it doesn't work out numbers-wise, then you flick it and move on to the next one. So, yeah, it, it, I know it sounds a bit harsh in that sense when I say it that way, but it, it is the reality of life because there's so many people who have brought property that have emotionally got involved into it and then go, oh, I potentially could renovate that. I could potentially get value by adding a granny flat. And then when they go through and do the further DD later down the track when they bought it and they find that they can't do it, they're stuck. And, and that's not where you want to be in that position at the end of the day. No, definitely. I think I feel like I'm having an aha moment here. And on Tyrone's podcast, we're talking about aha moments. Yeah, yeah we were. Yeah. Uh, What's your is, aha moment? Oh, I've just never heard of this before. <laughs> this, is, this is this is groundbreaking There's, for me. There are other things you can do in yeah, property. Is what. I just, 
I mean, I knew, I, I guess I knew that existed in, mm. in, in property development, but I suppose what you're doing there is really you're cutting out the banks and you're offering, um, you're offering funds a bit easier and more quickly to developers. So, you're differentiating is in there, the property development game. That's what you're doing. Yeah. And, and imagine this, what, what's the regulation around this, if any? Is, is the hoops you're having to jump through that are, that are a pain or, or was it, you know, literally as straightforward as, as you're saying, you know, they need money, we lend them, we, we, we uh, register our interest over their property and, and that's it. Everything's done all legitimately through a lawyer. Um, he drafts all the loan agreements, all the funds that are transacted all done through his trust account. And, you know, we work with a couple of lawyers as well too, just, you know, to spread the load for whatever reason. Um, but no, I mean, at the point in time, at this current point in time, we are also um, regulated by the AFS, uh, Australian ASIC, which is ASIC. And we're actually going through this process right now to get our AFSL license as well too. So because of the fact that, you know, we're dealing with a larger volume now. So, you know, I've had a lot of um, discussions with lawyers and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully by the time we probably come on to potentially in the future another podcast, I could probably share all that journey. But yeah, it's 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 part of the, the things like as you organically grow because we never anticipate it to grow this large. Um, yeah, it, it, that's all just part of the regulations. But initially, it, it started off just being, okay, you know, I'm happy to go into this deal with, you know, another investor. We, we basically register our entity. So, it's not like we set up a brand new trust or we set up a new company to go and register. We register individually on the mortgage. And at the end of the, the term, which is usually six months or 12 months, we just pay it out and then, you know, interest is dispersed. And we just keep it really simple. What I really like about this is is... You know, going all the way back to the beginning, you, you started with your why. Yeah. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm. Am I investing in property because it's the gang-ho thing to be doing and, and I think I'm going to make millions or should I step back and think about, all right, what am I actually want? What am I trying to achieve? Does this actually get me that result? Yeah. And then, you know, you, it, you decided it doesn't, but maybe this thing does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I really love that because we talk about this in our business all the time. We talk about we mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's all about trying to match what your business can do for you and what you're trying to achieve to what you actually want to achieve personally in your lifestyle, in your family, in your money or in your wealth, whatever it is that you're trying to do. So I think you've you've really clearly demonstrated <laughs> that uh, what you were doing didn't match what you were trying to achieve. So you pivoted a bit and yeah. you found a gap. And I think that's, that's amazing. And so as cool. Tim said, you know, you've created an aha moment that there's still new things to try and find. Yeah. There's still new things out there and areas in which you can invest opportunities. and opportunities and create businesses. Yeah, yeah, that's that's brilliant. And how do people like? Is this can people get into this um, if if they're not really coming from a background of investing? That's the interesting thing about this is that um, we, we do have a pre-qualification process. So it's actually, you know, you have to go into a wait list, you have to apply for it and so forth because it's not, you know, suitable for everyone. Um, as you probably know, as accountants, most of the type of great investments are offered for wholesale and sophisticated investors. This is deemed as one of those at this point in time because, um, you know, you've got to meet certain criteria, you've got certain requirements. But once you reach that level, there are ample amount of opportunities and this is where I guess over time when you start learning about all these things, there's a reason why they're only exclusive for you know people earning a certain amount of income or have a certain amount of asset basis because they're more sophisticated and understand these. And, and typically, you know, we, we get you know, investors with at least half a million dollars worth of capital available. They've got a property portfolio, 
you know, generating nice income, keeping them um, happy and so forth. But they just need to turn that over to generate some additional cash so that way they can either use it to fund their passive income or to actually pay down some debt. And this is a nice accelerator way to do it because the fact is is that you can either sit on the sideline and wait 10 years, 20 years for your capital growth of your property and then by the end of 20 years, whenever that happens, you sell down the assets, pay down your debt and then you get your passive income. But you know, who has 20 years to wait <laughs> to do that? You know, I, I know I'm not going to be sitting around for 20 years because it'll be my kids by then who have taken all my assets and I, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and when you think about that, there's got to be a faster way and I'm not saying, you know, this is an overnight success thing. This has taken me a while to actually build up but if you look at it from say a, a five to seven year time frame which is what I'm sort of projecting out at the moment, I think this is a much faster way to be able to build up solid capital if that's where the stage you are in your property journey because as we know, as most property investors talk about, there's usually three stages. The first stage is about capitalizing, you know, build up lots and lots of capital to be able to you know, have that asset base there. Then the next stage is to optimize and increase the cash flow and so forth and then the final stage is to generate that cash flow, that passive income to be able to live off as well. So if this is the stage that you're looking at, you're needing to build up lots of um, capital, whether it be buying more property, buying more assets and so forth, then this is another opportunity to be able to do that. And you know, for myself, over the last 18 months, as I mentioned, I've, I've got about a million dollars deployed out there generating a nice chunk of cash. And all I'm doing is every time the interest comes back in, when it matures, I just reinvest it again and it just keeps capitalizing. And you can imagine what happens after capitalizing on that or compounding, I should say, over the next, say, two or three years. You, you literally don't even need to buy more property. You just have that as your capital base and you just keep going. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's just a different way of looking and that's why this is a great alternative strategy to think about because the old adage in my opinion of buying and holding doesn't necessarily work. I'm not saying don't go down that path. I still recommend still buying property but you've got to be strategic about how you go about it because once you tie your capital into property, it's very hard to get it out and, and the challenge is you know, there's a lot of cost involved in selling. There's a lot of cost in, you know, trying to get money out of that, especially equity. And then you got to wait as well with the capital growth. And, you know, what goes up has to sort of come back down with the, the, the markets. And I've seen it already probably three times in my lifetime. And every single time when the market peaks, it will drop back a little bit. And then it just plateaus out for many years until it just takes its next, you know, peak again. Mm. And is there still opportunities during those years doing this method? I think there is. I mean, the the main thing is as long as the asset of the um, property that developers have purchased and, and using and because, you know, property development is going on all the time. There's always demand, especially when you look at the overall economy. When the borders open up, for for example, down the track, when immigrants can come back into Australia and overseas, um, our, our supply will probably come to a particular shortage, which means they'll require a lot of developers to develop more stock. And, and that's where you know they'll need quickly to get those funding. And banks are just too slow to to act on these things at this point in time. Yeah. That is great. I mean, it, it, when you put it that way, you're really like removing the risk of requiring capital growth anyway, um, because you're just requiring them to complete the development <laughs> and, and pay the loan. Um, well, not even complete the development. The bank to yeah, refinance. Just get a loan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, get a loan exactly. Brilliant. How did you, and sorry, sorry to jump back. How did you find that first opportunity with that uh, de developer down in Melbourne? It was just by luck because <laughs> this is the funny thing we talked about luck in the last episode. 
have a very good relationship with my property coach. So she's the one who has in the past referred me business to or referred me contacts to do um, development joint venture type of deals and she was the one who referred me to that one down in Roeville and, and that's where it started. It was like, oh, if I can do one of these and I find more of these type of developers or brokers, then basically, you know, I just keep repeating that same process, rinse and repeat. And then I guess the second time around was actually through another friend referral who was saying to me, you know, I got this deal that looks amazing and I thought, wow, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at it and it turned out really, really good. And um, at that point in time, because he was saying, look, you know, I've got a lot of these kind of deals coming through but I don't have any funding for it like private investors and I said, well, I've got a podcast. There's a lot of people who are interested in these type of deals. Why don't we, you know, join hands and, and you know, that and, and that's how I build up a lot of relationships with new brokers and so forth like that. You know, that that's how they kind of brought that and, and it's really, you know, contacts and, and building those relationships. Now, it's not something that happened overnight. It took, you know, now to where I am 18 months later but those relationships are so, so important because once they know that you can fund these deals successfully, they'll want to keep sending more of these to you and it just doesn't stop it's almost like crowdfunding it's uh yeah super interesting i love it i yeah. love it yeah and i'm fascinated by it because uh, you know yeah to be honest guys we're amongst friends here i hate the banks <laughs> <laughs> i hate them <laughs> and so this is this is this is really improving things if you have a look at how the banks do their sort of application process and go through their approval process they do everything based on servicing and if you understand that the, the model is basically getting a monthly payment to pay down the asset over 30-year 30, 30 loan, it's actually very inefficient because anything can happen in 30 years time um, but that for them, they just take a little margin clip and if they do that in volume, that's enough you know, to, to have the bank um, succeed but for us, we're only doing you know, a certain amount of deals, not a large volume of it but the thing is, is that it's quality deals and most of the time, developers are getting paid at the end of paying the interest at the end and for us it's just like you know come in for six months and get out in six months and, and it mitigates the risk because as I, as I told you in my first part of the story where I went in with a joint venture of a developer that went for 24 months and I didn't make any money out of that it wasn't guaranteed that I was going to make money because I'm relying on sales whereas here once you've got a loan agreement you're not you're locked in you're not you know able to and as long as you've done your numbers and the developer has enough profit in a deal then you know that they're going to be able to pay the loan back brilliant it's great. I love this. Mm, yeah, I think it's the, the one thing it's inspired me to do is just to think differently yeah. about everything, not not, yeah. not just property, but is there gaps in mm. in other markets and other mm. things that you could be you're not thinking about, or there's a gap somewhere. Yeah. I think it's important just to be inspired by this story, not just for property investing or not just for this specific opportunity, but yeah. but uh, in your own business, is there anything you're not thinking about the right way yeah. that's inefficient in in the gains that you're trying to get things we just take for granted mm. i have to say that there is an opportunity in the in the business market too which is what i've started <laughs> seeing come through we've had a few uh, businesses come through and asking us for loans you know to do this kind of stuff and um, they just basically provide property as a security so it definitely can work in all sorts of ways it doesn't have to be just development but that's been our bread and butter there's a big gap in the um, startup capital sort of sort of area and and yeah. It is going to be more and more difficult and I was having this conversation with someone the other day is that as more and more young people go to start businesses, it's hard to get a loan to, mm -hmm. to, to start something, right? Yeah. But what is, you know, uh, young people these days in a less proportion to what it used to be own property because it's getting harder for them to enter. So yeah. that startup funding is actually a lot harder now but as you're saying, even, you know, you guys still need it to be secured against something. Yeah. The banks require it to be secured against something. So there's a gap there. I'm not sure how to fill it but... Uh, 
But yeah, interesting, interesting. Thank you to Tim Garth and Dan Osborne, our interviewers on this episode of Property Investory. If you love the show, perhaps you're now ready to invest your money in a low-risk, high-return deal. If you are, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a lender. There are amazing opportunities in the property market right now. And I'm looking for lenders who want to invest their money for as short as 6 months. What are you waiting for? Don't let your money just sit in the bank. To register your interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.